Welcome to Star Trek Age of Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson. And I'm Gary Anderson. And we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. Today we're breaking down caves. It's the eighth episode of season four of Star Trek Lower Decks. Following that, we'll bring you the latest Star Trek news. But before we begin, please remember our analysis contains spoilers. So if you haven't yet watched this episode, you may want to do so before listening to our comments. Now, Gary, let's start off with the synopsis for this episode, Caves. The Cerritos travels to the planet Gratinus, where Lieutenant Boimler, Mariner, Tindy, and Rutherford are assigned to study rapidly growing moss in a cave. Soon after their arrival, a cave-in occurs, trapping the quartet. Due to their location, communications are not readily available to request assistance. Odd how that happens. <laughs> their problem intensifies when the moss begins growing at an accelerated rate and grabs Tindy's foot. She is able to remove herself from it but loses a shoe. They realize they only have a few hours before the advancing moss in, would engulf them. To think of ways they may escape, each team member recalls a time they experienced being trapped in a cave. <laughs> Boimler tells of the time he and conspiracy theorist Lieutenant Levy found shelter in a cave to escape an ion storm. Initially, Boimler disbelieved Levy's belief that the mysterious Vendorian race were testing them. However, later, the Vendorians revealed themselves, proving Levy right. The race also shows how Gammonite can be used to boost comms, a lesson the team realized they can use for their current situation. Rutherford's story takes place on Balkus 9, where he and Dr. Taana travel inside a cave in search of a medicinal fern that grows in a cave pool to treat billops, who has a case of swamp rash. They are led by Thusa, a native of the planet who is mortally wounded by a cave creature. Before dying, she touches Rutherford in order to transfer her essence to a new body. Surprisingly, Rutherford finds himself impregnated with a rapidly growing baby. Mm. Dr. Ta'ana cuts the baby out of his body and the two care for it. Their parenting impresses the cave monster who lets it be known he didn't want to kill them. Instead, he was protecting its own baby that lived in the cave pool. From this experience, Rutherford had learned how to gather trigaminite in the cave by using a phaser and Boimler's pants as a filter to harvest the element. Back on Grotinus, Mariner then showed a trick using Com badge microcircuitry that she learned during her cave experience with three Delta Shift ensigns. Mariner then recounts that while on mission to the planet Gish with the ensigns, their shuttle crash landed into a cave. <laughs> <laughs> the accident resulted in the breaking of Ensign Asif's leg while the other away team members were unscathed. Needing to repair comms that were inoperable after the crash, one of the officers, Amadou, advises they could do so with an element known as Pergium that seemed to be present in the cave. 
However, as Mariner and two other ensigns moved toward the element, they would rapidly age. Amadou then reveals he has found a closer stash of the Pergium that they can use for calm repair and also reverse the aging process. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> okay, throughout the storytelling, Mariner, Tindy, Rutherford, and Boimler seem to grow jealous of the time spent with other crew members. They wonder if this means they are drifting apart as friends. At several points, Tendi offers to tell her story of the time the four of them were trapped in the turbo lift. Yet each time she attempts to start to retell her story, Mariner pushes back, arguing that it has nothing to do with being trapped in a cave. Suddenly, the team is engulfed by the green moss, which turns out to be sentient. It demands that the green one, meaning Tindy, be allowed to tell her story. Tindy reminisces that after the rage virus experience, the four bonded after becoming inebriated in the bar. Heading back to their quarters, the four get stuck in the turbo lift for hours. They pass the time with games. Since at that time, Tindy was relatively new as a crew member, she cherishes the time as one of the best days of her life. The moss releases them and the four no longer seem anxious to leave as they begin to tell more cave stories. Unseen by the Cerritos team, two of the stalagmites transform to their true selves as Vandorians who have blocked the quartet's communication with their ship. They had been observing the crewmates to learn if they could pass their morality test. Now that the lieutenants had rekindled their friendship, the Vendorians decide they had passed the test. Still, the Vendorians chose to wait a while before freeing communications so the Cerritos crew could enjoy each other's company a little while longer. Oh, now isn't that sweet? That was sweet. That's sweet. Now, let's move on to credits. Caves was written by Ben Rogers and directed by Megan Lloyd. Ben has been an executive story editor on Lower Decks since season one. Caves represents his first writing credit for season four. Well, it took him a while, didn't it? <laughs> I mean, we only got two more episodes left, so it's a good thing he got that one in. Previously, he wrote Mugato Gamato, Crisis Point, and Crisis Point 2, Paradoxes. Besides writing for Lower Decks, Ben voiced, voices character Lieutenant Commander Stevens for five episodes. Megan is best known as a storyboard artist for such animated shows as The Adventures of Puss in Boots, Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous, and Star Trek Lower Decks. Besides Caves, Megan has directed two other Lower Decks episodes this season, Empathological Fallacies, and I Have No Bones, Yet I Must Flee. Yeah, well, one of those is good. Oh, I think they're both very good. Oh, okay. All right. Let's move on to the analysis then. The theme of Caves is maturation. This is also the overall theme for season four, from what we can tell now. The nearing the end of this season, our four Lower Decks friends learn an important lessons about their friendship. Their bonds 
are stronger when they don't hold on so tight. Separation actually makes their time together so much better. So here are our first impressions. Mm. <laughs> Caves is many things all at once. All of them are enjoyable. It's a bottle episode with a contained story wrapping up the development of our favorite Lower Deckers. It's also a palate cleanser after last week's episode. Thank good. It prepares us before we dive into the last big swing, the mystery-solving season finale. Finally, it's an endearing tale that reminds us of why we fell in love with Lower Decks in the first place the interaction of our original quartet. The bulk of the episode is given over to retellings of adventures Mariner, Boimler, and Rutherford had separately. However, the stories result in them feeling shock and disappointment as they feel that they've been left out of this part of their friends' lives. The intimacy they assume they share is questioned. And this is actually quite clever because Tindy's story pulls the four back together. It helps to remind them of the special bond they formed through their shared experiences. Caves is an homage to classic Star Trek cave-centric episodes like Devil in the Dark, Heart of Stone, Waltz, Demon, and many others. Many, many others. <laughs> in these adventures, our heroes inevitably find themselves wandering around similar-looking cave sets. <laughs> All of these caves have flat floors, gray or reddish lighting, and rocks that looked as if they were sculpted or uh, of styrofoam or made of plastic. The episode reminds us that once trapped in the cave, they can't get beamed out or call for help. The trope begs the question, how can a bunch of rocks beat centuries of technological progress? <laughs> Here, they find that the comms are blocked, prohibiting contact with anyone outside of the cave. Throughout the episode, we see glimpses of other Cerritos missions that were never before featured in an episode of Lower Decks. Also, we learn how our core foursome of Lower Deckers have seen their relationships evolve since receiving their promotions. But with each of the individual stories, Cave also hints to other classic Star Trek stories. Boimler and Levy remind us of the alien tests, like the battle between good and evil in The Savage Curtain from the original series, or the time the Dominion put the crew of, of Deep Space Nine into assimilation in the episode The Search. Mariner was akin to to the many times crew members dealt with rapid aging as in the original series episode, The Deadly Years. In addition, Rutherford's story plays on another Star Trek trope, alien childbirth. <laughs> <laughs> in The Next Generation's The Child, Troy becomes impregnated from a ball of energy to give birth to itself in that reality. In Unexpected, during the first season of Star Trek Enterprise, Trip becomes pregnant after helping a Zerillion engineer repair her ship 
And she thanks him. Yes, that's a hell of a thanks, boy. She gets, <laughs> he gets pregnant. In contrast, Tindy's story about how the Lower Deckers got trapped on the turbo lift following the, the events of the series pilot provides a nice juxtaposition with these characters' lives four years later and the other flashbacks to previous cave missions give us wonderful snippet events that we have never seen before. Each has an appropriate Lower Decks level of zaniness and they're all creatively executed. Tendi's story uses the twin to the trap in a cave trope. That would be stuck in a turbolift trope. In this way, her story is reminiscent of the Next Generation's episode Disaster, where Captain Picard is stuck in a turbo lift with a broken leg and a trio of children. Or we can also compare it to the short track Q&A, in which Una, Chen, Riley, and Spock find themselves trapped in a turbo lift for hours. In both of these cases, a strong bond is developed among the trapped occupants. As the only flashback to feature all four Lower Deckers together, Tindy's memory takes us back to the events following Second Contact, the very first episode of the series. We get to experience what directly happened after that episode concluded. This is the missing piece that helps us see how their bond was initially formed. It's a sweet trip down memory lane, watching their friendship form in its early days, contrasting it to the other stories where they're separated from one another by the trajectory of their careers generates a bittersweet moment of loss. But Mariner, Boimler, Tindy, and Rutherford discover that the bond between them is stronger than what they had imagined. The four core friends discover that they can embrace the experiences they've shared as friends without being at each other's side all the time. Each one carries within them the knowledge of what hidden talents their friendship has helped them reveal, bringing out the best in each of them, and over Lower Deck's four seasons, these friends have grown closer. They have become people who can handle being on their own sometimes, knowing that their friends will always be there at the other end of the journey. In this episode, the foursome's relationship grows much faster than if they had not had this experience in the cave. And in the end, they're all rewarded by the exchange. Let's, and now let's go for our final thoughts. Caves is a prime example of how Lower Decks uses the Star Trek platform to great effect. Unlike last week, Caves shows us how to take on a Star Trek trope and incorporate satire to poke holes in some of its more ridiculous parts, while at the same time still telling us a warm tale of friendship. Part of Lower Decks' unique magic is that at the same time the show satirizes Star Trek, it can tell a very compelling character story about the core four ensemble. Thus, Caves tied up their season four's big character development story in a perfect way. These core four characters have earned this focus, 
along with their promotions. Yep, they have. But I still like to Lynn. I, like, I'm I, that... I would like to see more to Lynn, though. Yes. Well, supposedly, according to Mike McMahon, she's going to pop up in, in in one or both of the, the last two episodes. All right. All right, let's move on to bits and pieces. This time, it's the mor- morality test edition. Although we didn't see much of the Cerritos senior staff on screen, in this episode, beyond Dr. Tahana and Shax, both actors Don Lewis and Jerry O'Connell voiced the Vendorians and other aliens seen in this episode. The cave planets seen in this episode are Grotinus, Chiron 4, Bacchus 9, and Glish. <laughs> Caves is the Vendorians' second appearance on Lower Decks. They previously appeared in the episode Envoys. The Vendorians were first introduced on the animated series in the episode entitled The Survivor. Yeah. Pergium, the substance needed to restart the shuttle's engines, was the same substance that the Federation was mining that led them to the conflict with the Horta in the original series episode, The Devil in the Dark. When Mariner ages rapidly, she initially looks like her mother, Captain Freeman. (laughs) Yes, she does. With the same gray stripe in her hair and lines around her eyes and mouth. Tindy's story picked up right at the end of the series premiere, Second Contact, in the final bar scene after Mariner vowed to be Boimler's Chadich. <laughs> In this episode, Instant Levy has made several conspiracy claims concerning Star Trek lore. Yeah. Boimler disputed three of his conspiracies with Wolf 5-9 was a tragedy, Q exists, and Picard isn't some hologram, and Voyager's EMH is. Mariner also said that Levy believes they were all in the mirror universe. Yeah, yeah, sure he was. <laughs> he also contended that Vendorians were the source of data that proved using warp speed could damage subspace. This was the central idea behind the, the Next Generation episode, Force of Nature, that was quickly forgotten. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. They never went back they, to that. They started they, talking about they had to go only like at. Uh, at top at five, uh, warp five, right? And, and they, then they just got rid of it. They, they said, "Hey, anyway, we'll just act like that episode never happened." We're gonna wave our hand over it. And nobody gonna remember that. <laughs> okay. Also, uh, Levy states that the Vendorians were behind the Klingon Civil War, although they denied that conspiracy was true. That's true. They didn't. They didn't take claim for that. Right. And finally, um, we discovered that Rutherford's eyepiece has a built-in flashlight. What that can that thing not do? That's convenient. And it has a broad beam too. Amazing <laughs> and broad and wide and powerful. And powerful. The throw on that be- on that flashlight was wide. Yes. Okay, so now we're moving to Star Trek news. Yeah. And the first one actually is pretty exciting. Scott mm. Bakula returning to Broadway. What? According to Daily Star Trek News, Scott Bakula, who played Captain Archer in Star Trek Enterprise, is coming back to the Broadway stage. Though Bakula is known for his work on Quantum Leap and Star Trek Enterprise, he actually began his career on the stage. He was nominated for a Tony Award in 1998 for his performance in Romance, Romance. 
He also played Nathan Detroit in the 2009 Hollywood Bowl production of Guys and Dolls. Bacula will be starring in Jason Roberts Brown's new musical, The Connector. Jason Robert Brown is a Broadway legend and Tony Award winner known for the theatrical shows such as Parade, The Last Five Years, and Mr. Saturday Night. The Connector follows two journalists working for a fictional magazine called The Connector during the 1990s, a time of massive change for media as a whole. Journalist Ethan Dobson is desperately looking for a big story, and Robin Martinez is desperately trying to stop him. Performances will begin January 12th, 2024. The show officially opens February 8th with a limited engagement running through February 18th. And that's quite That's limited. very limited. That's quite That's limited. like a 10-day limitation. Right. Which I guess they're doing for maybe attention? Uh, who knows? I mean, that's, that's quite an investment, you know, yeah. to open a show on Broadway and you're yeah. only running that um, a number of shows. Hmm. Well, I think they may be Ex- hope, hoping. Maybe extending it. Yeah, I yeah. think they may be hoping that somebody might show some interest and pick it up or, or expand it. And then the box office would, would increase and then they would just keep the show running. Who knows? Who knows? All right. So we have news from New York Comic Con. There were a couple of noteworthy Star Trek news items coming from this year's New York Comic Con held last week. According to comicbook.com, at one panel, Alex Kurtzman said Star Trek Starfleet Academy will be a comedic-leaning series. This humor-laden direction, underscored by the involvement of Star Trek Lower Deck star Tawny Newsom in the writer's room, promises a hearty chuckle amidst the celestial voyages. Yeah. Okay. 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 According to Kurtzman, this new addition to the Star Trek lineup embodies the timeless camaraderie and riveting rivalries amongst the useful cadre of cadets. His alliteration is amazing there, don't you think? (laughs) Under the tutelage of seasoned Starfleet officers, as they venture through a universe fraught with challenges and lurking nemesis, threatening both the Academy and the larger Federation. Wow. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) I I was, too, until I saw this description. Okay. All right. So Kurtzman also spotlighted the Star Trek Section 31 movie. Fans exhaled a cosmic sigh of release as Kurtzman confirmed Michelle Yeoh's unwavering commitment to reprising her role as Emperor Philippa Giorgio despite her soaring acting career post her Oscar win. This spinoff, spiraling out from Star Trek Discovery, delves into the enigmatic corridors of Starfleet's covert operations, heralding a narrative laced with espionage and existential quandaries. TrekMovie.com reported on a roundtable interview featuring Lower Deck's showrunner, Mike McMahon, as well as his comments concerning the Star Trek Universe panel. McMahon revealed he was working on the final script for 
the show's fifth season. He also clarified his thoughts on the possible future of the series in response to a widely circulated article where he expressed concern <laughs> about getting picked up after season five. He told the roundtable group that even if it doesn't happen, he will still hold out hope for more Lord Dex in one form or another. Yeah, he was sounding like he didn't think of season six was even going to happen. And so he was trying to encourage people to show their affection for the show. Right. So he may have gotten a memo that said, stop that. Right, right. <laughs> the showrunner wrapped up the topic by saying, he's not worried about Lower Decks because I know how good it is. And with the caveat that pickups are based on people subscribing to Paramount Plus and watching the show while it's current. He said... His one worry is that people will wait to watch the show later, making it become a cult hit 10 years after we've made it, mm. which that that happens all the time. That happens all the time. It sure does. Look at Suits on Netflix, man. I mean, people are loving that show. <laughs> right. Well, you watched it originally. I watched the whole... Well, I watched... Yeah, I watched most of it, but um, in all honesty... It's okay, show. It was. It was a. It, it filled an hour. It was good, <laughs> but I mean, it's not great. Right, right. <laughs> okay, so Lower Decks is known for making connections to Trick Cannon from all different eras of the t- television shows and movies, which often results in guest spots from legacy stars. Mm-hmm. When asked if there is a part of Star Trek that McMahon still wants to tackle. He singled out one particular series, stating, It's hard to get Enterprise, because Enterprise is so proto. It's so before TOS. And it's so tempting because it feels like TNG, and that's the world I play in, and I love Enterprise. And that's been the hardest. But I think in season five, I figured it out. If the deal works out, there is some Enterprise love in season five. We are we're early enough, so I could be wrong about that. So st- so stay tuned next year. Based on what McMahon said, it sounds like they have a clear plan that would involve actors from Star Trek Enterprise, but can't lock it in until these deals are finalized. Well, and nothing's going to be finalized until the strike is over. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So let's. So in closing. We'll be back next week with a review of Season 4, Episode 9 of Lower Decks. Before we sign off, we would like to remind you to share a link to Age of Discovery with people you know who enjoy Star Trek as well. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a comment over on iTunes for us. It can help us out with attracting attention and new listeners. Until that time... Like, subscribe, and follow Star Trek Age of Discovery on... X and Instagram at Star Trek AOD and Facebook at Facebook.com at Star Trek AOD and on our website, Star Trek AOD.net, where we offer additional articles on Star Trek canon, this interesting sidebar issues, and other aspects of the show. Also, email the show at Star Trek AOD at gmail.com. But until then, live long and prosper.